Welcome to Getting Credit, a podcast focusing on financial markets, corporate credit, and timely insights from Pacific Funds. Here's your host, Dominic Nolan, CEO of Pacific Asset Management, the sub-advisor for the Pacific Funds Fixed Income Strategies. Hello, and thank you for tuning into number 46. In the next 10 minutes, I will touch on a rough September, the Fed's trade-off on inflation versus a recession, opportunities in fixed income, and finish with a quick reflection. Let's begin. Let's start with a recap of September market performance, which, which was rough. The S&P 500 index was down over 9% in the month. For the third quarter, down just under 5%, but down 24% for the year. The Russell 1000 growth index and Russell 2000 value index pretty much lined up for the month down between 8 to 9% for the quarter, 4 to 6%. And this year, the Russell 1000 growth is off 27%, the Russell 2000 value off 18%. So through three quarters of 2022, equity markets in general are down 20 to 25%. From a global market standpoint, international markets continue to underperform. The MSCI World and MSCI Emerging Markets Index were down 27% for the year after finishing down 9 to 10% in September. Let's switch over to fixed income. Pretty brutal there as well. The Bloomberg Barclays Aggregate Bond Index in September was down 4.3%. To put it in perspective, 4.3% would be the worst calendar year for that bond index in history, but that was just September's performance. For the year, returns are off 14.6%. That is almost five times the worst calendar year performance for this index. So many investors have balanced portfolios, which is typically an allocation around 60% stocks and 40% bonds. But make the numbers easy, if it was a 50-50 portfolio, so 50% S&P index, 50% bond index, you're down roughly 19% year-to-date. That is among the worst returns in history. In other areas of fixed income, high-yield bonds were off 4% in September, but for the quarter, off about 64 basis points, so not even 1%. For the year, it's still down 14%. Bonds across the board are still getting hit as rates climb. The standout for the year continues to be floating rate loans. For September, they were down 2%. For the quarter, down 1%, and for the year, down 3%. By the way, down 3% would be the second worst year for the Credit Suisse Leverage Loan Index, yet it's outperforming bonds by more than 1,000 basis points, and obviously staying well ahead of equities, just to put some perspective on performance. So how does the setup for the fourth quarter look? In my opinion, if Q4 was worse than Q3, I would view that as a capitulation event because you would have an equity market that's down you know over 35%, bond markets down over 20. To me that is that's flushing out the baby with the bathwater. As relates to yields, some perspective, the 10-year treasury started third quarter at 2.97%, ended the quarter at 3.8. So yields rose by 28% in Q3. Again, pretty brutal year from an interest rate risk standpoint. In my opinion, the fourth quarter should be better than the third quarter, but the bar is extremely low. 
Let's pivot to inflation and the Fed. And the title of a call we recently did was Inflation or Bust. My comment was we're getting both. Let's dig into the Consumer Price Index, or the CPI numbers. In Q2, it was 2.6% for the quarter. Annualized, that is a rate of inflation of over 10%, so it's substantially high. Fast forward to third quarter, the July CPI was flat month over month, and the August CPI was up 10 basis points. So for the third quarter, assuming September numbers are reported to be, let's say, a half a point or less, you would have a third quarter CPI of around a half a percent. That is substantially lower than the second quarter CPI. And annualized, a third quarter CPI of 0.5 annualizes to 2%. So what does that mean? Well, one, it means that inflation is rolling over. And if, in fact, it rolls over to this 2% threshold, that which is the Fed's long-term rate of inflation, it does provide a window. And as a side note, when I look through to the subcomponents of the CPI numbers, and there are 15 of them, 12 were lower in August than they were in June. So the narrative of inflation rolling over, you're seeing the sell-offs in asset prices. In my opinion, there is a window for the Fed to pivot the narrative to a less hawkish stance. Given where things are today, what's the rate outlook? The base case is there will be a 75 basis point hike in November, another 50 basis point hike in December, and another 25 basis point hike in February. That's 150 basis points over the next four months and would take short-term rates to four and a half to four and three quarters. Will we get there? I'd say if inflation continues to show it's rolling over, the answer would be no, but I would find it troubling if the Fed continues to be aggressive through this. As it relates to longer-term rates, the 10-year Treasury getting close to 4% is an adjustment for me. Quite frankly, I'm surprised that it's gotten this high. When I think about it, if the Fed is aiming long-term inflation to get to a 2% rate, and they are willing to break the economy to get it there, then that would suggest to me that a 4% Treasury is too high. I will continue to believe that 4% is too high, I think unless the Federal Reserve indicates that they are upping their range of long-term inflation from 2%. If they upped it to 3%, then perhaps a four-year Treasury isn't very high. Now, I don't expect that to happen anytime soon, but from a rate standpoint, 10-year Treasury close to 4% feels high to me. Another element that markets are considering as ripple effects from the Fed is strength in the dollar. This unprecedented tightening is having ripple effects in other areas of markets, and in particular, currency strength. Think about it. If the Fed is aggressive in their tightening, thus strengthening our currency, we are essentially pushing out inflation to other currencies. The U.S. is, in theory, exporting inflation. So what does that do? Well, it reduces the margin of error for other financial entities. Thus, if you make a mistake such as Britain did by announcing tax cuts during an inflationary time, their currency got hit, their bond yield soar, and the Central Bank of England stepped in and reacted by switching from quantitative tightening to quantitative easing. I think the real component in there is that base rates start here, the Fed has chosen to push out inflation, strengthen our dollar, 
and that reduces the margin of error for so many other central banks and financial entities. And those ripple effects are going to rear its head in bits and pieces over the next year or so, in my opinion. So where does all this leave us as it relates to investing? I'll highlight four areas of the liquid credit markets. I'll start with bank loans. Bank loans have been a good defensive asset class against inflation, only down 3% for the year. When you look through, though, current prices on loans are pretty subdued at $91 on average. That is low relative to historic norms. In fact, the only times they were lower were during the global financial crisis and a brief period during COVID. So given today's prices, and even though it's defended well, prices are low and coupons are high. Coupon right now is about 6.6%. As the Fed increases, those coupons are expected to go up. And given the dollar price, the overall four-year yield on loans is slightly over 10%. So now you fast forward a year with your higher coupon, for an investor to lose money in that asset class, the average loan price would have to drop below 84. In my opinion, that's very close to distress levels, and that offers a significant amount of protection. Moving over to high yield, the Bloomberg U.S. Corporate High Yield Index average price is about $84. That is 17 points below par. You have a duration of about four years. Thus, your yield to worst is around 9.7%. I mean, high yield's gotten smoked. It's down 14% for the year. And bank loans are down 3% for the year. Yet, loans still have a higher coupon. High yield is attractive, but I still right now prefer loans in that defensive nature at this point. Investment-grade credit. I'll address two areas. First, the intermediate part of the curve. Average price is currently $87. The yield is over 5.5. So if you get any settling of the Fed in this economy, there's value and total return in there, in my opinion. But if you step in, be prepared to take on some rate volatility. When you move over to the short end of the curve... If you look through to the Bloomberg one to five year US credit index, the average price is $94 and the yields five and a quarter. So you have short duration investment grade credit yielding over 5%. In general, if you stayed short duration, which means you're reducing your interest rate risk exposure, investment grades over 5%, floating rate is over 10%. That to me provides a ton of protection from rate risk factor in the market is already pricing in another 125 to 150 basis point increase from the Fed. And for an investor to get hit from interest rate risk, the Fed would need to be aggressive well beyond 5%, in my opinion. If I were to rank all four, I would put short duration credit and bank loans as 1A and 1B, investment grade next to that, and then high yield next to that. Remember, I'm also in the camp that a 4% treasury is too high. And I expect investors would benefit from duration at some point in the next 12 months. In fairness to high yield, I'm at a point where I find my least favorite of the four still attractive. I'll close with a brief personal reflection. In short, we are in the fourth quarter and it's time to take inventory of the year. And the way I view it is if I haven't started something I wanted to, I need to start. If I'm doing it, I need to finish. And if I've done everything, I should just relax. I'll leave you with that. Thank you and stay tuned. 
The views in this commentary are as of the date recorded and are presented for informational purposes only. These views should not be construed as investment advice, an endorsement of any security mutual fund, sector, or index, or to predict performance of any investment. The opinions expressed herein are subject to change without notice, as market and other conditions warrant. Any performance data quoted represents past performance, which does not guarantee future results. Any forward-looking statements are not guaranteed. All material is compiled from sources believed to be reliable, but accuracy cannot be guaranteed. All third-party trademarks referenced belong to respective owners. Pacific Funds and Pacific Asset Management LLC are registered service marks of Pacific Life Insurance Company. Pacific Life Insurance Company is the administrator for Pacific Funds. It is not a fiduciary and therefore does not give advice or make recommendations regarding insurance or investment profit.